successful in creating a real free press where the American people get different viewpoints other than those expressed in the establishment controlled media, there's going to be a civil war in this country and it's going to come soon. The only thing that can stop it is by waking up vast amounts of sleeping people. Sheeple is what they are. They are following the Judas goat right into the sharing pens and from there they will go to the slaughter and they will not know that anything is wrong until they smell the blood of the sheeple in front of them. Your gold pony boy. And welcome to Beard and Brain Podcast, where the beard gets weird. I am your bearded co-host, Britton C. Griffin, and as always, joining me is my hetero life mate, Joel Hinton. What's up? Howdy, Joel. I'm going to also introduce a few folks we got with us. Uh, returning co-host, Cassidy. How's it going? Howdy. And uh, first time on the show uh, is Isaac. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. And our dear friend Anthony as well is with us. Hi, how's it going, man? How y'all doing, man? Very good, brother. So today on BXB, this is the world you live in. We're going to have a roundtable discussion in honor of Black History Month. The show will be centered around history and achievements by Black Americans in the United States of America. We plan to have a much-needed conversation about white privilege and weigh in on first-hand accounts of these issues as well. Join us as we get our hands dirty so that our listeners can be better educated and exposed to the events that have unfolded throughout American history. But first, guys, um, I received some heavy news earlier today that a longtime friend of Joel and I's uh, had passed away, and I would like to take a moment of silence for him and also for anyone else out there who has recently lost someone. And, um, you know, our thoughts are our thoughts and hearts are with you guys as well. So I'm going to go in and take that moment of silence now and we will get the show started. All right. So, cracking into the egg here, it is Black History Month, and in America, I think the story of Black History Month begins in 1915, and that impact starts with Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Have you guys ever heard that name? Are you guys familiar with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with him. Let's see. And it says that this came even half a century after the 13th Amendment. So we all know that the 13th Amendment is a, uh, it's a big deal with um, civil rights. Won't crack too much into that, but I did find uh, Carter G. Woodson to be one of the, um, I guess, the front part, or at least how we got here to February being Black History Month. Um, he was born in 1875 and died in April 1950. Pretty good looking young man. Let's see. Here's a quote from him. It says, uh, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition. It has become a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in dangers of being exterminated. So um, part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast today is to breathe life into this conversation 
um, amongst our peers and our age group and try to settle some of this uh, discussion on, you know, for example, some of the Emmett Till that we all grew up learning about in school. Um, in recent years, more information has come out, so the narratives have changed. So we're just kind of giving an update on that and also just having an open roundtable discussion. And um, I hope to be able to create the most comfortable environment for everybody on the cat or on the show here and also listening. So thank you all for being here as well. I know it was uh, a lot pulling all five of us together at once. Got a full house. Has anybody got anything that they want to start with? I'm kind of thumbing through here um, and just looking at historical events to start off with. I'm genuinely curious about just like, a blurb of the what was his name again that you talked about that black that essentially started Black History Month. It's yeah. honestly the first I've ever heard of it, so I'm pretty ignorant to it. I can get into it. Um, excuse me for my language here, but I'm reading off of some of this. Um, but it looks like he started up. Let's see. So he's a Harvard trained historian, and it looks like. Him and a guy named Jesse E. Moreland founded an association um, organized, dedicated to uh, researching and promoting achievements by black Americans and other people of African descent. Um, That is known today as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, or ASALH. That group, yeah, that group sponsors um, and has been sponsoring events since like 1926, it looks like. Oh, wow. Yep. It says they chose the second week of February to coincide with the birthday of Abraham Lincoln on February 12th and Frederick Douglass, February 14th. Huh. Pretty interesting. Kind of weird that that's the origins of it, and it's not like mainstream history about the month itself, so it's kind of wild. Yeah, I don't... I mean... I definitely think that it should be talked about a lot more. And I think it is, honestly. It's just whether or not people ignore it or not, or it gets covered up on purpose or whatnot. But we're here to have the talk, so. But I feel like, this is my opinion, I feel like Black History Month should be celebrated not just for one month, but it should be celebrated every day, like everyday history is celebrated. You're not wrong in that at all. That's just kind of how I feel. But if it was kind of celebrated, I kind of feel certain groups would feel some type of way on how it's represented or how it's this and how it's that, but they don't actually see the real meaning or the real stories behind what our ancestors did for us to get where we are today. You know, a lot of people don't know, and a lot of people should be learning about it more and more often other than getting shamed about it. If y'all know what I mean. Yeah. So let me ask you something real quick, touching on that. So are you suggesting that, like, kind of like we have regular history, like, if there's an important person in history, we just have a general day for them. So instead of, like, glomming it all together into one month, which probably even segregates the conversation even more, you're... Are you essentially saying, like, it should just be, like, as the days come, if there's an important person that had meaning to that movement or our history in general as far as a society you are are you saying that you should believe we should just kind of celebrate just like regular history yes 
Like regular. I actually, I'm actually 100 behind that. That makes so mm-hmm. much more sense. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be singled out for just one month. It should be. It should be all year round, not for just one month. Because a lot. It's a lot of history. It's just. It's so many people. It's so many groups. It's so many organizations that all came together and did different things. And you right. know. And you know. Society just did want that, you know. That's the same thing with like the Black Panthers. Black Panthers were so strong, you know. They was trying yeah. to they was trying to get the same rights as everybody else, as for color. And mm. they broke up the Black Panthers because they were too smart. And you knew and they knew and they knew that they had the power to change a lot in the society. And they did not want that. So they raided them. They 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 put them all in jail, and hell, they they even killed some of them because of what yeah. they believed in. You know, I think it's interesting bringing it up because I think that you know that's just a reoccurring we th- we thing we see in American history of like any group that gets like that's kind of like outside of the mainstream narrative or establishment. Immediate once they have too much power or spreading too much truth, they get shunned down by American government and stuff like that. I mean, if you even kind of look at like the history of like between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, right? Malcolm X was probably it, his message is going to be kind of controversial, but his message was probably more powerful, in my opinion, than Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther King was kind of the mainstream version that essentially old white people could be okay with during that time, if that makes any sense. I mean, there, there was still a lot of diversity and stuff like that, but I mean, that's a lot of the reason why that created legislation was because Malcolm X was more on the, I guess, like, uh, more extreme activist side of it, and Martin Luther King was kind of just like the peaceful version of it if that makes any sense yeah Michael Malcolm X was basically he wanted the action now and right Martin Luther King was basically for the peace he wanted it in a peaceful way and Michael Max right. wanted it in an actual way doing by doing action yeah um Cassie did you have something to add to that yeah man uh so I think what we're getting at here is that for when we know when we know like true equality has been achieved is to a point where there's not there's no longer a need for Black History Month. I think that's kind of the point that Anthony was getting at too is that there when there's total equality when it's just history, when it's not black history, white history, when it's just history absolved and actually how it is, then there won't be a need for Black History Month because it will be. It'll be all the time. It'll be you won't have to single it out in order to make sure it's taught in schools. It'll be year round. Um and just touching on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, I think Martin Luther King was a uh, like we we like to remember him a lot as you know this pacifist and whatnot but towards the end he was getting a lot more into realizing that more of a militant nature was needed kind of the same way that malcolm x did that uh that yeah it'd be great if everything could be achieved by peace and uh, pacifism but i think he was realizing more the need for uh action at the end That is an excellent point. Um, I'll add to that um, because, like you said, we will truly know we're there 
when when changes like that take place because um, the culture is celebrated every day within the arts and music and um, civil rights and protests and all that is American history. It's not black and white history, like you said, um, and it should be integrated in the schools more that way. So it starts at the base or at the foundation at the educational level. And it should also be a family value to be kind of taught that too. Cause I also think that the schools nowadays can be a little whitewashed. So it really yeah, needs to start at home too. Um, Black History Month has always home. been horribly whitewashed by the education system. I mean, that's why like you'll never hear anything about Black Wall Street in 1920 or anything. Oh like no, that. They, they're not going to tell you about that. Right. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you. I'll show you that because they don't want to show color in power because they don't like that. And like a lot of people don't understand that. They don't want to show or teach kids about what they can be. Right. Color. Well, and it's even like that, you know, that's undoubtedly a fact in that point, but even like extending on, they don't want to see power in anybody. No, they want right. you to be a programmable robot that works, pro- procreates, and, you know, and do puts what it they say, the do what they want. Back up just a second for uh, those of us uh, that don't know what Black Wall Street is. Anybody uh, want to take a stab at that? Anthony, I'll let you go ahead and pick up on that. Anthony, are you willing to take a stab at what Black Wall Street is for somebody that may have just heard of it? That they don't know what it is. Well, Black Wall Street is, um, I just can't put it in my head right now where it was located. It was, it was located, in Tulsa. Yep, Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma. It was Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was like a small city ran by all blacks. They had they had their own stock, they had their own money, had their own everything. But then banks, schools, they had everything that that they had everything that society would need to succeed. And then that's when Black Wall Street got bombed because it was too powerful. They bombed it. Yeah, I mean, and to add more context to it, they literally, it was basically the white people in that community were poor because they weren't intelligent and they weren't trying to progress their lives, whereas the black part of that community were thriving. I mean, they were pilots, they were bankers, they had their own stock market, everything else. And I forget exactly what triggered it, but more or less, they got pissed off and it was a bunch of locals and they just started going around and like bombing all the black owned businesses. They had the, some of like the crop duster guys coming out and throwing Molotov cocktails on the businesses through their planes and literally just going and shooting people down. Isaac, did, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? To me, that's, that's one of the only times that America really bombed their own on their own soil. And yeah, the way the way they they handled that it shouldn't it shouldn't have went down like that for real. And I, right. I, 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 I wish day. it was something different. I, I wish they did it differently, so everybody could be. That's that's terrible. June first, nineteen twenty one. Uh, in the Black Wall Street neighborhood, um, 
it, it look this is a, uh, a fact here and the depiction of the massacre appeared in an opening scene of Watchmen which is a an HBO series um mm-hmm. see people actually reported when they like I guess made the surveyor called in a show or whatever or gave reviews that they reported that they initially believed they were actually witnessing uh, fictional events so that just goes to show that historians say you know it's not teached it's not taught much in school at all and uh you know somewhere like june juneteenth you know a lot of people are like what is it or whatever you know it's not taught in school yeah and i think it's because it's a major stain in american history but you're not supposed to hide that shit i've always thought you know the way out is through the truth um and i think there's a famous quote by ida wells that says that so you know, the, the the truth will definitely set you free, so to say. But Black yeah, I can't Walker, remember I the, off, but that is some stuff that most people don't know about. Yeah, I can't remember the exact wording, but I know at least as of until recently, it was the largest domestic terror threat or mass murder in American history. That's awful. Let's see, uh, claims of the lives of as many 300 people. So, yeah, it devastated the entire neighborhood and is described as the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. Yeah, that's insane. Real quick, I know you were talking about uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X a a minute ago, and I think there's one guy who really doesn't get enough credit for that entire era. And I was curious if any of y'all were familiar with James Baldwin. So, I am oh, not. Man. So the Netflix. I've been reading about this guy for several years, but Netflix actually just. Well, there was a documentary that came out last year called "I Am Not Your Negro," but James Baldwin was oh, a yeah, 2016. Okay, yeah. So uh, James Baldwin, it was a poet and activist during the civil rights era, and some of his stuff is just absolutely amazing as far as like a firsthand experience of like what New York was like in the 1950s. And it got so bad um, during the whole civil rights movement and whatnot that he ended up essentially fleeing to France and then refused to come back to America almost until the day he died. But he has a lo- he was right there. He was best friends with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And he was right there kind of in the thick of all of it and just wrote a lot of books and a lot of poetry about the whole situation and essentially kind of giving the readers a view of what it was to be a black American during those times. And it's really, really profound. Yeah, this dude is really smart. I'm just kind of brushing up on some of the stuff with him real quick. But yeah, that guy's super smart. I can't believe that um, they don't teach Black Wall Street and Juneteenth in school. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically the the same people they teaching the same events every year. Yeah, they teaching the same events. They just teaching it in different ways. Where you got Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, you got Malcolm X, you got Jackie Robinson, all there. But that's all. That's some of the main people people only hear about. It's way more to that. It's way more to that. I think we uh, 
lost Anthony for a minute, but hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, he'll, he'll hop back in. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he's good. Do you guys want to uh, switch gears here and uh, have that topic on, or that discussion on that topic, white privilege? Because that's going to be a touchy one for uh, for some people listening, possibly. Because it's, uh, I mean, when you put things in perspective, I think white privilege is a lot of perspective involved. I think when you put your life and life as a whole into perspective, you're going to start to see these narratives and, uh, you know, what people are actually talking about, so. I don't know. It's a good one. It's a good topic. Uh, I don't know if you guys are ready to switch gears on that one or not. All right. I'm fine with Well, um, being a white male, um, I can tell you that I didn't get profiled by the police growing up. I got my ass into quite a bit of trouble and was still turned over to my parents, was never harmed. Uh, the only time I was ever talked down to by a police officer it was probably my second or third time actually being arrested and I deserved it. You know, I mean, I'd gotten myself into trouble and, uh, everything after that, you know, God, you know, thank God I didn't hurt anybody ever or anything like that. And, uh, most of my stuff was, you know, some things that I could work through and, and fix, but I was never, you know, really profiled by police or, you know, I don't have any fear for my life when I get pulled over. That's that's one of the most embarrassing things right there. Like I couldn't you, imagine me walking down the street and then the police randomly stop yeah. and say, You fit the description of this person. I'm like, What? It happened to me plenty of times. I'm like, What are you talking about? The person just robbed this store. You fit the description, you got the same coat and all this. I'm like, I just got off of work or I just came from the store. I, I I, then you gotta sit there and people right. staring at you and just questioning you and I mean, I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to go on and do it. When they say you fit a description, they basically just mean you're black. Yes. And I don't yeah. mean that in any disrespectful me. way. Even if the person has I'll never, never forget. <laughs> I mean, shit. i never forget, man. I got my, I got first, I got harassed by the cops for the first time when I was like 12 years old. It shit me, it shit me for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? I was just, just randomly just walking home from my friend's house, just minding my business, 12 years old. And you know, cop car speed passes me, and panting on mine. He, they do a whole U-turn, and the only thing I see on the ground is red and blue lights. I'm like, I look back, it was like, stop right there, drawing their gun. They, draw, they was drawing their gun at me, and I was just like, whoa, what did I do at 12 years old? And they said, you fit the description. That like you fit the description of somebody uh breaking and entering in people's houses. I'm like, what? I was like, I don't have no backpack on me, sir. And then, you know what I'm saying? They checked me and I didn't know what they was doing. And I didn't I didn't understand what police was at the time. You know, I'm young, I'm a kid. And so they spread they they had to spread me and then I had to call my mom. Literally, I'm literally right down the street from my house, and then my mom had to explain to them he's only 12 years old. And they was like, mom was, then they said, they said to my mom, he fits the description. How does he fit the description when he's only 12 right. years old? She was like, y'all bothering, y'all harassing him. She was like, he's like, no, he's, he's like, he's a kid. Y'all harassing him. Leave him alone. So they, they, they let me go. 
Then my mom, my mom had to explain to me what this world was at a very young age. She was just like, she was just like, baby, that is just what cops do to a black man in this world. You don't have no freedom. They'll look at you like they will look at you as a criminal, even with a suit on. To me, once a black person, re- really? even a black woman reaches a certain age, it don't matter what age they are, they they are not seen as a kid at all. They are not. They're just, they're just no. seen as a black person, a black woman, a black man. It don't matter how old you are. Once you, you, you can walk, talk, you're a target. That's it. That's insane. I honestly have a question about, um, like, do you wonder if this also has to do with the community you're in during that situation? Like, I understand completely that there is undoubtedly. Yeah, I understand understand there's completely those instances. I I mean, I grew up, my two cousins, they were mixed. Uh, One got shot and killed by a cop in 2018, the other one got shot and killed by another guy down on uh on MLK in Louisville and from a drug deal like a month later and like I seen one of my best friends get his ha- head slammed and had a fucking brain damage and shit but I mean I grew up in it and and I've always grown up in those kind of areas I had my own issues and I end up I got arrested about 26 times by the time I was 20 and I did two years in prison so I understand like coming from that and i understand that white privilege is definitely real and i'm going to get into this really good academic journal to kind of explain it to those people who don't believe that's a thing in a minute but like part of me also believes that it's kind of the community you're in because for instance like if you're in a impoverished community and I'm just, I'm going to say like in Louisville or something like that, or a major city or like I'm in Daytona Nails or something like that. Not necessarily like Podunk, Podunk fucking Olden County or something, but particularly when you're in those areas and then, and black people get it far worse, but even as a white guy, you still like, just for like being on the fucking streets in those areas at a certain time, you get fucking shit on by cops. And then it's, exponentially worse for you know it was it is always exponentially worse for all my friends and i think that you know that's another thing that has to be addressed and one thing i liked and like the recent campaigns thing was like one of the biggest things we have to do to counter that is work on these impoverished areas and getting rid of that kind of judgment and stigma stigma for people just being in those areas with you know they have no you really have no say so if you grow up in that, but I guess I was kind of I, what I was um, kind of alluding into is like, do you do you think there would be a difference? Say like if you I don't know if you guys are in Louisville, but like if you were in Hillcrest and Prospect as opposed to like in downtown Louisville, do you think do you believe that there's even like a even if it's just a marginal difference as far as like how you'd be treated? Um, yes, I actually have an example. My my cousin. He he grew up in Prospect. He's black. He got a lot of white friends, and he he actually gets treated way better than we all all did. Like if we went down there, just walking around there, people staring at you. The, the cops will stop you. What are you doing in this area? What are you doing? Yeah. But when he gets stopped, he he actually talks more. He actually sounds more proper because he grew up in that area, I guess. But 
So it's definitely a stereotype thing, and yes, I guess is. you could say the same thing. Like, if there's a white kid that grows up downtown or something in that area, they're probably gonna get, they won't probably get treated as bad, but similar. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, um, uh, Cassie, did you have something to add there? Yeah, man, I just didn't know. I don't know if you all want to get into it on this, but I mean, I think this is like seriously comes down to an issue of police reform. I mean. We've got, it's come out, what, twice already this year that the Louisville PD was trained with rhetoric that was from Hitler. And it wasn't just an insulated or an isolated incident. It was more than once. I mean, uh, I mean, I should have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. They, it was included in a training program and it was more than once that there was, uh, it was quotes from Adolf Hitler used for the cops. I mean, I, I think increasingly more and more police are taught to be militarized against their own communities. And I mean, the, no more evident than LMPD. I think uh, you're definitely going to have a better, probably a better time anyone would, you know, with pro- like Oldham County cops or something like that. But I mean, I think it, I think a lot of it comes down to police reform across the board that they need to learn that it's not a militarized situation. You're in a community that you're supposed to be supporting and not against. I just, I, I just wish they, they, they won't be they, they first thing to, to do is draw their gun. Like you use your, your taser, your pepper spray, even your club. Like yeah, absolutely. It's like a it's a combatant style. situation. Some situations I understand. I understand some situations you gotta use your gun, you gotta draw your, your weapon, like a traffic stop or something, like if it's dark outside or something. But if you see the person's not armed or nothing, you don't need to draw your weapon at you shouldn't even reach for your weapon at all. You you should use your taser, your so, like pepper spray, may stuff like that. Like, I don't understand. Well, I so. think even then, like, there definitely needs to be a form of police reform. My honest opinion about it, I think that police reform is needed, but it's going to be needed far more deeper in the penal system itself. Like, if you ever go in the fucking justice system or penal system, it's far fucking worse. COs are blatantly fucking racist and just discriminatory in general. And will fuck you up over the stupidest things. Like, I am more scared of COs being locked up than I've seen a lot of police out there. But I do think, you know, there needs to be reform in the police. And I think it honestly needs to be more training. Like, I train more than most fucking police officers as far as, like, with firearms and stuff like that. They don't train at all. They're fat as fuck and, like, do a 20-hour fucking course and get a badge. And it's fucked up. I don't say when somebody's running from you, they gonna pull their gun out and shoot them in there and just shoot them in the back. Like if you can't you can't catch them, get in a car, but don't run them over. But if you know you cannot catch them, don't shoot them in the back. You can't do that. What were you saying, Cassidy? Yeah, there, I mean, do you? I hear people say that all the time that you know it's a lack of training with the police. No, it's not. This is a mindset, man. It's the entire police system. That they, I mean, they're trained to be combatants. They're not trained to de-escalate situations. I mean, maybe they are on the top level, but that's not what's happened. Like, people are being killed across the board. Unarmed people, people running away, are being shot by cops. I mean, they're being trained more like more more in combatant situations than they are in in de-escalation situations. And it, I mean, it it's not just a case of these. They need another six hour training every year. I mean, I I think it's an apple that's rotten to its core, man. But there's people with mental problems that's getting killed by cops a lot because cops don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, autistic. Like kids, people man, with autism, deaf, deaf people like that, like 
you should be trained to deal with those people. You should be trained to deal with any type of person. Well, Cassidy brings up a good point, too, is that, like, I de- it definitely doesn't mean, like, six hours. Like, I think Jocko Willink has a good point. Like, 20% of their time should be training. But, Cassidy, you were in the military, and you were essentially trained as a combatant, but in the military, you're far better at de-escalating and, you know, have far more trigger discipline. So, like, what would be your recommendations as far as, like, transferring any of that type of training into police force to where they would have trigger discipline, more or less? But, see, I, I don't think – I think it's a completely – it should be a completely different mindset. Um, so, like, for us, we knew we're training. We're training to go to war. You're training to fight people. They should not be training to fight people. They need to know how in the situation. But more so, they need to be trained in de-escalation and, and how to handle homeless people, how to handle people with mental problems, how to handle sick people and calm people down. I mean, just uh, it seems like over the past just few years, it's just constantly increasing aggression on the part of police officers. I mean, it's people running away, getting shot in the back and people obviously unarmed you know, holding sandwiches or cell phones, getting shot in the face. I mean, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't think, because that's, people say it all the time on the news and it's just a cop out that the cops need more training. No amount of training is going to fix it. It's the system that's screwed up. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I do think that, I won't say that it's a complete cop out. I think that there needs to be training in all sorts of areas. I mean, it's not hard to be a cop. I mean, like you said, they are trained to be combatants, but they're not trained for anything else. And as you said, they don't need to be trained to for combat. They need to be trained for de-escalation and then have those, you know, minimal skills of how to handle themselves in, an intent, in a situation where they are actually in danger. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, I don't think there is no one solution i think it literally needs to be an entire reform and i think it needs to encompass all of those things like i think that it's a lot of it is that you know just like a politician there's probably good ones that go into the system thinking that they're going to change everything and then end up just being overcome by the totality of like the aggression of police officers i mean i had an uncle who was a cop in chicago for 30 years in the 70s and I mean, it was just as bad wow. then. I'm, I'm sure it was worse, um, probably because they. I mean, they right. they did terrible, terrible stuff. But um, I mean, I, I think it. I think that's the system of police and how it's been for you know a hundred years or however however long. I I don't think it's something that we can just give them a training for and change it. I think it's the whole system that's that has the issue, and I think people are brought into that and then encompassed by it, even if they have, you know, uh good uh good um reasons for getting in no i do agree with that i mean you know power corrupts and that gives you the ultimate power over civilians and especially the way the system has been set up for 100 plus years i mean it's just there's never been a change so there does absolutely have to be a reform across the board yeah i think they should definitely make the cops hang out and log a ton of hours with drunk people no <laughs> weapons nothing but their hands and their mouths and their feelings they have to just deal with just the most intolerable people ever for like hours on end to where it's just like as soon as like, you it's not even about being intolerable like, right, here we go. you know what I mean because I mean, you're going to deal with a lot of crazy situations and shit and the better equipped you are with okay 
understanding the dynamic of both sides and what you're going to have to do to get this de-escalated. It's, there's got to be a fucking exact science to it already. I mean, it's not rocket science. If they can escalate the shit to the point where they have, then they should be able to do the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's not even about people who are acting shitty. I mean, kind of like to Cassidy's point is like, that's just embedded into them on how to act on any fucking scenario. I mean, I'm fucking white and I've had scenarios where feds have raided my house and just because I fucking like unlocked a door for him, they'll tase my fucking dog and hit me in the fucking billy club. Like, they're just made like, it doesn't matter if you're fucking peaceful and trying to like just listen to them. They are automatically in it to fucking fight as soon as they come in your presence for anything that they see that's illegal. Oh, yeah. Especially where you guys are at in Louisville. Them motherfuckers are crooked as shit. Well, I mean, that's a good segue from uh, Reform. Speaking of the police and stuff, y'all want to give a couple of first-hand accounts on some of this stuff that you guys have experienced to kind of maybe weigh in and let some of the listeners that haven't experienced any of this shit know what people go to and deal with, you know, just because you were born black in an area that you live in. I think that is something that I haven't brought up yet, but that uh, the late Gray Hunter S. Thompson always wrote about how racist the Louisville market, uh, the real estate and housing industry and market was. And, you know, the fact that you can only afford certain things in certain areas that are opportunities and, uh, you know, it's kind of bullshit and unless you get bombed or something in the case of Black Wall Street, you know, you get kind of pushed in and, and out of certain areas and the opportunities that come with that. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of shit. But Hunter S. Thompson had a good piece on that. And I think it was uh, called a Southern City with Northern Problems. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, if you guys wanted to segue into that, you're more than welcome to. If not, I understand. But I'm sure it's pretty fucking rough down there at times. And I'm sure it's also pretty good. But, I mean, the communities, I'm sure what makes it, your peers and your family and everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, shit's wild that what you was telling me the other day about walking down the street and uh, y'all shook somebody so bad. What was that girl that almost fell over or something like that? Yeah, we was at the golf house. Oh, was, uh... no way. I didn't he even hear walking. this. <laughs> I think I think it was like maybe like eleven o'clock at night, something like that. But we just got back from the waterfront, just walking to go in the golf house because that's where we was uh, staying at. And then she uh she was getting out of this this uh, SUV. I said she had a case of White Castle, and I was walking. She seen me. She almost tripped over this uh brick because she she couldn't she couldn't keep her eye off of me, and she got scared. I was like, "Are you okay?" And then she's trembling, <laughs> just looking. And then she just kept walking. Jesus walk. Christ. Like, like <laughs> I never knew I, I could scare laugh, somebody. That's like, just fucking nuts. <laughs> I never knew I could scare somebody like that ever just by walking. I, I, I mean, <laughs> that's just weird. That's weird to me. Yeah, her mama, I think she had her mama. Her mama or somebody was with her. She was doing the same way. She was, she closed the door real quick when she said, like, what? Like, if you're going to come out... Over here, why are you going to be scared of, of black people for? Like, anybody. You shouldn't even come out the house. You shouldn't even go anywhere if, if you're that scared. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. 
Turn the I TV don't. off. I don't know what they're telling you. I'm just Shit saying. It's not. It's <laughs> nope. ridiculous. Yeah, I, I've never walked down like a sidewalk or anything and like looked ahead and seen like somebody like kind of make eye contact and then like go out of their way to go across the street and pass me. You know what I mean? I've never had anything like that happen. So I think that that kind of goes into that societal privilege, the white skin privilege or whatever. You know what I mean? It's um, it's definitely something that I don't really experience. So no. definitely think it needs to be. And something we talked about the other day too, man, is if we have time, we should hit on. But then, like, uh, what we thought about as far as taking them damn, and I couldn't even come up with it at the time. I don't know why, but the Confederate statues, and then what well, you can replace them. But uh, Joel, did you have something to say? Um, just real quick before we kind of leave the white privilege thing, this is. One thing that kind of upset me was a lot of people when, you know, you kind of start hearing this rhetoric, especially over the summer, is, oh, I don't have white privilege and stuff like that. And, you know, honestly, I felt like that for a long time, too, growing up, because I grew up poor and I was a fucking criminal. So, you know, I had, you know, I had a lot of shitty exchanges, too, but I never had as bad. But I found this academic fucking article that addressed it really well, and it was essentially... This uh, doctorate candidate who grew up super poor, grew up, you know, dealing drugs and stuff like that, but then finally made a change in his 20s to become, you know, an academic. And someone said that he was privileged for being white. And he was like, what do you mean? I've been poor. I had to deal with fucking all this bullshit, blah, 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 being poor. And he did this huge study and he kind of broke down some really simple kind of statements that I kind of, that for me, believe that it can kind of help people who don't believe that there's white privilege understand it. And like, I'm just going to read off a couple of them, but, um, you know, here's one of them. I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the newspaper and see people of my ra- of my race widely represented. When I am told about our national heritage or about civilization, I am showed that people of my color made it what it is. Kind of back to the point we were talking about earlier about black history. If a traffic cop pulls me over or if the IRS audits my tax return, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. Um. And then there was, I'll I'll read off one more and then I'll get to the next point, but if I should need to move, I can pretty sure, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and which I would want to live. I thought that was pretty profound. Um, And then another one, I'll do this last one for those, but I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me, basically saying they won't be judged if they moved into a different, a say another class level area and uh to kind of address like so that's kind of like where the white privilege is there are these kind of certain concepts that you know a lot of us as white people take for granted and don't even think about and then they go on into the academic journal kind of talking about like yes so there's white privilege and then there's class privilege and you know that Class privilege can be a bunch of things like citizenships, you know, simply being born in the country affords you certain privileges non-citizens will ever have access to. 
being born into a financially stable family can help guarantee your health, happiness, safety, education, intelligence, and future opportunities. So I think that's where like all these people who do not believe in white privilege are getting it confused and defensive because of the way the verbiage is and not realizing that there is privilege in that and what they believe that they didn't that they didn't have white privilege is actually more attributed to class privilege if that makes sense it does dude you hit the fucking nail on the head with yeah, the i swear i swear yeah you hit you, you hit it good it's a lot of info yeah i appreciate you bringing that one to the table and reading it man getting more into that oh yeah well, uh, Cassidy, did you have any last thoughts here closing out? Uh, no, man. It's been a good conversation. Absolutely. These conversations need to happen more often in the public square and, you know, places that are appropriate. I'm not condoning it in places they're not, but more more or less that, um, you know, not at the workplace. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, I want to nah. get anybody fired or something like that, but um, yeah, we had a few people get fired over stuff like that. Yeah, you gotta kind of watch oh, wow. your yeah. real opinion. You gotta watch what you talk about, man. Yeah, yeah. but definitely there are safe places that you can come talk to uh, people mm-hmm. about it, which is what we are here for. So, if you want to come on Beard X Brain, you can get a hold of us, any of us, and uh, we would be glad to have you guys on to talk about different topics. And uh, Cassidy, thank you for your time, and uh, Isaac. Joel, Anthony, I appreciate you guys for being here. No, no problem, man. No anytime, problem, man. And, um, anytime, man. Yeah, Isaac, Anthony, anytime. if there's anything that you know comes to mind after this conversation, you know, while this, you know, month, I'm about to, I'm about to write some stuff down. I'm gonna write some stuff down. Yeah, I'm gonna write. I'm, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna write some more things down in my notes. I'm brainstorm some more. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we should have a part two for this. I know we don't all agree with kind of the ideologue of the month in itself, but I think it's important, and it's just, you know, there's not a lot of these conversations going on, mm-hmm. and I think that's where a lot of the disinformation is going. Right, man. Yeah, so definitely, man, uh, reach out to us. Let us know if there's something that, you know, we'll give you the four, and you can bring up anything you guys have, and if you guys have questions for us, by all means, we'd love to have a part two. All right, that'd be good. That'd be good to me. Got my depth out All right, guys. Well. Cassidy, Isaac, Anthony, Joel, thank you guys for joining us on the uh, latest and greatest. Um, happy uh, Black History Month, everyone. Yep. Happy Black History Month, y'all, man. Happy Black History Month. And yeah, again, definitely. Y'all, thanks for joining us. It's going to be a wonderful us. one. I appreciate that's, Yes, it is. Yeah, we need to do this again. That's why sure. I love my birth. That, that's why I love my birthday, February 14th. So. Hey. Oh, man. My uh, my girl's birthday is on February fourteenth too. It's a hey, I'm just saying this. Shout out. <laughs> ah. That's why I love it. Harmonies is uh the what was the 29th and she's an Aquarius too. Yeah. Aquarius Nation, man. Aquarius Nation. Last month, yeah. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, man. Yo, can I give a shout out? Absolutely, Absolutely dude. Oh, man, shout out to my bro, Jeremy, man, a.k.a. Jay the Unknown, man. Yes. Go get his shit. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Facebook. Follow him on social. Follow him everywhere. Go get his shit, man. 
hey, that boy uh, is some different shit. He only had eleven uh, tapes left of Playlistic Harmony. So if you were wanting one of those tapes, you yeah. get it now because I got two of them. Y'all, so I'm out the way. Yeah, yeah I got the- two. I got uh, I got two of his tapes. I got the LED tape and I got the uh, Playlistic Harmony still sealed. Oh yeah, I got two of each. <laughs> And those of you that are first listeners or haven't listened to the very first episode where we interviewed Jay, the wonderful intro and outro music we have it was produced by Jay. Any and all music on the show has always been him. Yeah, produced by Jay, man. The dude's fucking dope, man. Y'all need to go check him out, man. Buy his merch, man. For real. Support, man. Isaac, you got anybody you want to shout out to? Yeah, I don't really have nobody. Hey, I know how you are though. Hey, my man over here, he's he's the lone wolf. I know how he is. Everybody knows how he is. Yeah. The lone wolf. Well again, <laughs> guys, I appreciate you uh, joining us on this episode of Beard and Brain Podcast. Bye bitches. Bye. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A world where the rule of law not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision.